This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on a Friday, gearing up for Bills Chiefs on Sunday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the program. Thanks for joining us. Players out on the practice field. The base is pumping out there. As a matter of fact, (laughs) and this is commonplace for road games, they try to replicate what it's going to sound like in the visiting stadium at practice during the week, and we could hear it from our office space prior to coming into the studio That's here. Stinking chop They're song. playing the, uh, yeah, I, <clears throat> what's it called? The war chant song or whatever? Tomahawk chop or something. Yeah. Um, we still talk about that song. They're the, playing that out there on the, the old guys, show. the Bruce, the Jim Thurman, Andre, they, we all talk about that song when we talk about the Chiefs. We can all remember. That's what resonates. Yes. That's what resonates. Okay. And bless their heart. It's it's a good it, – It's, it's a staple great. for them. Yes. We know that. Good And good for them. It's like the shout song here. Um, sure. Except it's more – we play the shout song when we After score. After scores, yeah. In Kansas City, they play that thing for a first down. They don't care. Oh, for yeah. a sack. They, you know. They'll do it whenever. Yeah. They, whenever they like, feel good. Hit like, the button. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the shout song, but it's also the train horn, the – First down, you know, it's all that. It's third down. <laughs> That's right. Public they address announcers thing, love They play that, that Tomahawk Chop song. It's like ubiquitous. Yeah, it's ad nauseum. It is. It's their go-to. That's it. That, they don't yeah. have, like, a theme song for a score. They don't have, it's all just Tomahawk Chop, I think. Yeah, they, they don't really have too much other stuff. The only <clears> other staple they have. And I remember the first time I heard this, traveling to Arrowhead for the first time. This is in the late 90s. I had never been there before. We're standing for the anthem. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, the, yeah, the yeah. anthem's about to end. And the home of the, the entire stadium. Chiefs. It's not the home of the Brave. They all say home of the Chiefs. And I was just like, oh, well, that's something here. Yeah. Okay. And they still do it now. They still do it. Yeah, the home of the Chiefs. They The last they instead of Brave, Chiefs. they say Chiefs. Um, cool. And I know I, that's part of the fun. Oh yeah, every of the whole league. Every stadium's thing. got their own little thing, and they and they take great pride in it, and they have fun with it, and it's it's awesome. It's yeah. really awesome. We want to get to uh, Bill's practice updates presented by LeeCom, your Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine, and it doesn't really have to do much with people out on the practice field because the Bill's injury report is pretty much clean as a whistle. It concerns the players on injured reserve, namely Dawson Knox and Kyrie Elam. Both have been practicing this week as their 21-day practice windows have been opened. That happened on Wednesday. And now, here at the end of the week, head coach Sean McDermott essentially said that Dawson Knox has a good chance to be activated for Sunday. They want to see how he comes through today's practice, but all signs have been positive to this point. So the anticipation is he's better than a 50-50 shot to be up and active for Sunday's game against the Chiefs. And on top of that, um, they are not as optimistic about Kyer Elam. So Sean McDermott on WGR earlier today in his weekly appearance said it's he probably won't be activated off of IR. So it looks like Dawson Knox has a chance to be up, but Kyer Elam in all likelihood will be down and remain on injured reserve this week anyway. So we'll just have to see how it goes as he makes his way through that 21-day practice window, and maybe he's up 
for next week's game against Dallas. So that may have to wait another week for Kyer Elam to return to the roster. Uh, there is big news concerning the Chiefs' injury report, which had up to four starters on it, Steve. Not practicing for a second straight day yesterday were left tackle Donovan Smith, linebacker Drew Tranquil, free safety Brian Cook, and running back Isaiah Pacheco. During the media viewing portion of practice out in Kansas City today, no Isaiah Pacheco for a third straight day due to a shoulder injury. So it's going to be very interesting to see what his status is when the Kansas City injury report comes out later this afternoon. That's a biggie. That is a biggie. Uh, Pacheco hurts him. Um, Bolton is a huge get. Well, it's looking more and more like um, Nick Bolton, their original starting middle linebacker. But if you don't get Pacheco, you're going to get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, former first-round draft pick. So, you know, mm, he doesn't, choose your poison. He doesn't scare me. Well, he's sitting down for a reason, no question, but Pacheco's pretty good. So that's, They got Jarek McKinnon, There's too. a lot of guys who would sit down. But, uh, yeah, it, it, how it changes the mix is really intriguing. Uh, Will it change their philosophy of the run game? Will it change their confidence in the run game? Will it change their percentage of runs called because of Pacheco's not there and would that have changed anyway given the fact they're playing the Bills defense as opposed to somebody else really interesting um we all know the Bills fans know what's what defensive injuries look like to a team and how it affects it I mean we're we have first-hand knowledge of that it'll be interesting to see how it affects the Chiefs and if it affects them the same way as it did the Bills when yeah it happened. um Nick Bolton, as we were saying, he went on injured reserve about six weeks ago with a, with a wrist injury. Not unlike Dawson Knox, it required surgery. He began practicing last week as the Chiefs opened up his 21-day practice window, and he has been full go the last couple of days. So he is certainly trending toward being activated off IR and playing on Sunday, but we'll have to wait and see when that designation and change in roster status comes down for him because there was some speculation that it still might take another week before you know he's fully good to go and ready to play on Sunday. But in the potential absence of Drew Tranquil, um, you know, who's in the concussion protocol and had been starting at middle linebacker in Bolton's place, maybe they're like, hey, let's, let's get Bolton on the field here. It's, we need somebody in there. Right. They've got to be wondering about. You know, they've got their own problems in Kansas City now. They, you know, they're they're managing to win games where the Bills are not. Um, two games, one way or the other. These close losses the Bills have had. If any of them, two of them flip, these teams are in the same spot. And the Chiefs, you know, but the Chiefs have almost identical problems to the Bills, except for the one loss record. Um, and that's the frustrate. Got to be the frustrating part when you look at it as a Bills fan, where you think, you know. They're struggling to score points. They, you know, and they're not getting rid of their play caller, right? Um, they don't get a bump from having some, a fresh set of eyes look at it, and all of a sudden now they are scoring thirty points a week again. Um, they, you know, Andy Reid has got to be doing it with trying to do it with smoke and mirrors. Um, it, but these two teams, like I said, aside from their from their one loss record and the Chiefs managing to win two more games than the Bills did. Uh, or man, are kind of going through the same thing right now. Injuries on defense, especially this week for the Chiefs. Injuries on defense and an offense that has sputtered. Now the Bills seem to have, you know, cleaned out the fuel line 
and kind of got things clicking again offensively. The Chiefs, uh, not so much, but they're the ones that can still manage to try and win games. Now, they've lost three out of their last five, so that's starting to run its course. They're right in the midst of a win-loss, win-loss, win-loss stretch. Yep. I mean, after starting how, six and one, how how stinking familiar does that sound? Yeah. I mean, you got. I'll say this: uh, you, both of both teams got the best guy possible taking snaps. Yeah. I mean, they really do. Two of the winningest guys. These two football. guys. These two guys are the are the standard for the last five years. Well, since twenty twenty, last cream three the years, they're the cream of the crop. Um. We do want to remind you that with today being Friday, it's the OBL Friday Fan Mailbag. So any question you got on the team or the league at large, feel free to fire it off at us at 803-0550, We also want to make you aware, in case you haven't had your ear to the ground on this, Sean McDermott called an impromptu press conference late yesterday afternoon after a character assassination piece was put out on him and his coaching tenure here in Buffalo. And he addressed a situation that he admitted at the time was a mistake and then reiterated that yesterday using the 9-11 terrorist attacks as a talking point about communication. He corrected his error at the time back in 2019 and explained how he did so again yesterday. He addressed the media today. And he was asked for further questions on the character assassination piece on him. And his comments were pretty poignant. And I think if if you're far enough away from this team to not know Sean McDermott, the person, I encourage you to listen to this because you'll get a greater sense of Sean McDermott, the person, and Sean McDermott, the coach, with some of his remarks today. So let's turn to that now. Here's Sean McDermott addressing the media today. Is there anything you need to see from Dawson specifically today? Is it like catching one? You know, is there yeah, no, I think he's, I, th- I feel like he's answered a lot of that, like with pads on yesterday and with no pads uh, with the catching on Wednesday. Um, I think he's answered a lot of that. It's just more, let's just take continue to take it one step at a time and, and see how he handles today and how he feels afterwards too. That, that feedback's important. Does Dawson bring to your offense? Yeah, Joe, I mean, it's, um, you know, we were just obviously on the radio there talking about the blend, really, of Dalton and Dawson. And uh, Dalton has certainly shown us what he's capable of and uh, taking advantage of the opportunity that he's, that he's gotten. Um, and so um, blending the two together, both are good football players, both a little bit different, one from the other, and... Um, I think that blend is important. Um, Dawson's obviously um, um, good at the point of attack, strong veteran player, and uh, and does a good job in the pass game in his own right as well, which which I know Dalton does too. So, um, you know, blending those two in the right capacity, proportions, however you want to say it, is, is important for us. Has he been gone long enough, Dawson, that means, I mean, that bringing him back and Dalton in his evolution and what we've seen when you say blending, are yeah. you blending almost like two different players than when we saw them last together on the field? Yeah, Tim, I think it's, um, you know, we knew we knew some about Dalton then, and now it's we know more about Dalton. And that's kind of just 
the evolution of a rookie, the journey of a, of a rookie season. Um, and so now it's how do you how, how do you how do you coexist in the right proportions to make sure we're as productive as we can be, and maybe beyond what we've been over the last two weeks. Um, and so that's that's a that's a balance, and that's I'm not going to sit here and say that that's easy, right? It's a good good problem to have, and and it's up to us as coaches and um and, and figuring that out right and, and and that may take a little bit of time and I think the other kind of challenge if you want to call it a challenge is you know Dawson's conditioning he's been out to your point six weeks so anytime you're back for your first game it's hey um how can you make the game slow down and how can you allow the game to come to you a little bit Sean another part of the equation is Khalil who seems every time called upon makes plays what is then the balance of if you're looking through two tight ends how to play them, but not wanting to take away the yeah. earned opportunities of Khalil? Yeah, and that's that's some of the blend, right? Is it's uh, you know who do you want to be? Who do you who? What proportion of what personnel groups do we want out there? Um, so some of that's game plan driven as well, based on on based on the opponent week to week. So um, again, somewhat of a good problem to have. Um, but the thing I love about all three of those guys that you mentioned is they're selfless in their approach. So um, they've been that way since since they've arrived. Um, last we talked to you, you were getting ready for the team meeting yesterday. Just yeah. was wondering how did that go? What were the takeaways for the team? Yeah, um, you know, I thought it went as good as one could expect, as I could expect, and it was important for me, Catherine, to address the players that. Uh, are new to us since 2019 and and uh, may not have been around um, that day and so that they understood um, that situation and how it unfolded and and that based on who I am and what they've seen my hope and, and how I try and do things um, and how I handled that situation so it went well um, their support was clear and um, much appreciated Did that feel like the bigger point of emphasis <clears throat> the newer players versus players who had been there for the moment that was that was part of the reason, a big part of the reason why I did it because having everyone on the same page and um, if I was a new player, based on you know how I've seen Sean, I would expect them to think that 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 doesn't that's maybe you know doesn't fit what I've seen. And so, again, just clear communication, accountability, and just you know trying to make sure everyone's on the same page. Yesterday, you spoke to the specific part of the story. Um, <clears throat> You said you hadn't read the rest of it. You know, the, the main theme of the story seemed to be surre- or surrounding your lack of accountability, at least in the eyes of all the people that were spoken to for the story. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I don't. Um, I know who I am. I know how I try and do things. Am I, am I without flaw? No, I'm not without flaw. And um, I say that humbly. Um, I believe we try and do things right here. Um, it doesn't mean that everything we do is 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 right. People are going to have their own opinions. Um, I believe we've we've won a lot of games here um, since we've arrived, and and I'm confident in that. I'm confident in this football team, and um, people are going to have their opinions. Um, I can't control that. You mentioned you spoke with the team. What sort of conversations beyond the players did you have yesterday regarding the what was in the article? Yeah, I mean, just uh, more follow-up really from them to me um, in terms of support, in terms of text messages, guys um, seeking me out to um, say coach. I mean, even players that are no longer here um, that have mentioned 
um, you know, other people, even staff, some in this room, some not in this room, that um, know who I am, know how I try and do things. Um, you know, it was clearly attack on, to me an attack on my character, and, and that's important to me, very important, uh, as much, if not more, um, very clearly more than wins and losses. Wins and losses are important. Um, but what's more important to me um, from day one is, is how you handle yourself. And, um, again, doesn't mean that I've uh, been perfect. No one's perfect. Um, doesn't mean that I haven't been without flaw. Um, but to me, it's most important that uh, for myself and my family and my kids that I handle this job the right way. Well, I think, Joe, in any, in any of our lives, if this came up for any of us, something like this, um, it, it's, it, it definitely um, gets your mind spinning, right? Um, just being real. And um, it's been disappointing. It's been um, hurtful, right? Um, at the end of the day, I know who I am. At the end of the day, I know how I handle myself. As I've said humbly, I'm, I'm, I'm not without flaws, right? Um, I wake up every morning trying to do the best job that I can to win games for the fans of the Buffalo Bills and do it the right way. And that's my main goal every day. Sometimes we go through this world and we don't know what people think of us. And I'm not saying the negative stuff. I'm talking think about the people who you work with, the people that you're close with. But we don't always say it. And I'm guessing that in the last 24 hours, we've had a lot of people, as you've mentioned, indicated. But has that been, I don't want to put a word out there, a relief or the appreciation of when you hear those people come and say, we're with you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Tim. You, <clears throat> you know, you, we all go through adversity, right? There's lessons in this. Um, for me, there's lessons in this for my children, my older two in particular, who can understand a little bit more. Um, when you get text messages, when you get people going out of their way personally to come and see you, and when you get notes on your desk in the morning, messages from players who are no longer here that play currently with other teams, I'm not tampering. It's 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 support and it's love and it it's it's affirming, right? That you are um, because that's important, right? To feel like you're trying to do things a certain way, and you want that to be to be um, viewed that way on the other end, right? Saying, hey, this is a guy that. Um, you know, I, I think he's a good coach, and and beyond that, he's a he's a he tries to do things the right way. I think that's that's just very important to me. It's important to who how I was raised, um, and the focus right now is about um, needs to be about moving forward and, and getting myself focused on this game and the challenge of the of the Kansas City Chiefs. And um, I owe that to the team. And and um, and I'm super proud of them in terms of how they've handled really the last two weeks or, or week when some of this 
things have come up, right? So um, they are steadfast in, in their approach, uh, in particular this week and, and um, the way that they've practiced. How hard is that to have to com- compartmentalize, kind of like put this to a side and with a game on Sunday and kind of with something like this that can take up a lot of space in your mind? Yeah. Like how, how do you... Maybe that's not there's not an easy answer. But yeah, no, it's not. I mean, this is what this is what I get paid to do in terms of it's 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 what I get paid to do and it's what I owe to the team. It's what I owe to the fans of the Buffalo Bills. And as I've alluded before and earlier here, it's I don't take that responsibility lightly. Lessons. I know it's only been like 24 hours, but what are some of your takeaways so far on just this experience? Yeah, I mean. Um, we could probably take an hour to talk about them, Catherine. I mean, just starting with, um, you know, you make every day count. You know, you take the joy that you have when you get the job, and and it can ebb and flow through through experiences, through through trials and tribulations, and you and you don't want to lose that, right? You don't want to lose it, but it gets tested. Um, as a person of faith, I think that's important, and I'm, I'm going to say it, is that I know who I walk with or I try and walk with daily. Um, again, not that I'm, not that I'm without flaws. Um, so. You talked a lot about character this week, um, early in the week with Bond. There's a lot of <clears throat> fans that are uncomfortable with what happened last week and then potentially seeing him playing on Sunday. I know you addressed it and Brandon addressed it, but... Do you feel comfortable at this point playing him, knowing everything that's yeah. going on? And, Matt, I, I 100% understand. I, I get it. I understand. This is not an easy situation. Um, and, I, I, you know, it's the hardest part for, for us is I'm a football coach. I'm not an investigator. And I only have, we only have so much information at this point. So we're doing the best job we can with what we have or don't have, mostly in this case. Um, we, I can promise those out there that we have looked into every last thing. We jumped on a call Sunday night again, and I said, let's everyone get together and say, what do we know, what do we know, what do we know? And, um, and there were multiple people on that call that represent different parts of our organization who have expertise in these areas, and this is where we're at. I wish I had a better answer for those people. I can promise you... Um, we're always going to try and do the best thing, number one, for doing what's right um, beyond the football field. Um, in this case, this is where we're at. And I think for me and for them, it's um, we have to continue to take it one day at a time and see what more comes um, forward, if you will. Kind of that you're saying taking it one day at a time that there's constant conversation about like if something new comes in is it like yeah. okay is this change anything like how's I guess how's that working going forward from your perspective? Yeah, it, it hasn't been. Um, you know, initially obviously there was a, information, but it, there was a lot of things. I don't know, you know, just just things out there. I, I don't know if I can call that information because is it fact? Is it not? I I don't know. Right. So there was a lot of things coming out, I guess I should say, early. Recently, that's been rather quiet in terms of um, information from the sources we need the information from. And that's really what we're, at this point, um, waiting on um, so we know more going forward. John, that's, that's John, given the last 24 hours, 
the ongoing situation with Bond after you had the players meeting with the team yesterday? Did you feel going into that? Did you have any concerns about this team's buy-in still and, and recognition of the culture you've established? And after that, did you feel reaffirmed that everybody was still on the same page and things are going in the direction culture-wise that you have envisioned so far? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I, I do. I feel strongly that um, the looks in their eyes yesterday, the looks in their eyes when they came back here. You know, they were back Monday. I didn't really have, we didn't have a team meeting. They conditioned Monday, but we didn't have a team meeting until Wednesday. Excuse me. They seem like they are um, strong and, and, and focused on the Kansas City Chiefs and, um, and the leadership of our team, um, led by guys like Micah Hyde, uh, were very evident this week and, and uh, much appreciated. I know Scott, you had one. All right, so that's Coach McDermott who addressed the media today, was asked several questions about why he felt it necessary to respond to the character assassination piece that was written yesterday. And uh, I think he laid it out, and I think he effectively laid out how important this job is to him. He recognizes the responsibility of it, and he's committed to doing things the right way in a principled way, and that has never wavered. And it was basically the attacks on his accountability and taking personal responsibility for any and all shortcomings that have happened during his tenure that I think stuck with him the most. And just the fact that he addressed it immediately, I think only reemphasizes the character he has as the head coach of this football team. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think most people get it at that. You know, I mean, um, pick a target, a prominent target that everybody knows and has some interest in assassinate them and then, Profit off the destruction of another man's life and livelihood. And we've seen it before. I've seen it before. Um, there you go. That's what it was. And then, and, yeah. and you know, that's that's why the thing was written. That's why it was done in the first place. Uh, it was done for personal profit at another person's expense. And that's you know. So you got you know that it's that is what it is. Uh, and he handled. I thought he handled the press conference very great. Because listen, there's two two things on this week have been have popped up. This article, and then you know the Von Miller stuff is ongoing. Uh, and which all he sudden, also addressed. Which he also addressed. Um, yeah, the people who work in the building, even even the ones who were well not quoted, but whose information was used in the article, um, would probably concede how good a coach he is uh, and what he's trying to do here and what he has done and the, and the monumental job he has done in not only taking what was once considered a Siberia in the NFL into a, in a destination for high-quality free agents. Um, yeah, it's been remarkable. So he handled it, I thought, very well. Um, and unfortunately, you gotta you got to put up with stuff like that when you – or reach a certain level of fame and yeah. accomplishment. And you're a public-facing figure, yeah. Yeah, and somebody's going to take a swipe at you like that. Yeah, so we just felt it was necessary to bring that to everyone's attention, in case you did not hear it. Uh, it is an OBL Friday fan mailbag, so any questions you have, fire them off at us, 803-0550. 1-888-550-2550 is the number to get on board. Steve and I are going to take a break here. But when we return, we'll take your phone calls. And we also have, don't we have an addition of 
Excuse me, Mr. Tasker? I think that is coming your way here shortly in hour number one on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. This week's game against the Chiefs is sponsored by Gabe's Collision. Get back in the game with Gabe's Collision, locally owned and operated since 1964, featuring three convenient locations. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram to learn more. It is an OBL Friday fan mailbag, so we are going to get to the phones here at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, and we lead off with Jim in Lockport. What do you got for us, Jim? Jim, are you there? All right, I'll put Jim on hold. Maybe he's there. Maybe he's not. I'm not sure. Uh, in any event, we go to Steve in Orchard Park. What do you got for us, Steve? Hey, how you doing? Doing okay. I, I, just, I just got a few comments. And uh, just give me my time here. Just give me about a minute and a minute and a half. Okay? okay. All right, listen. I'm 60 years old. I've been going to these games since I'm eight years old. Um, I'm a diehard Bills fan like everybody else out there. But what has been going around social media, the media, the last few weeks about McDermott is just so disturbing. There's so many people here who have lost faith in him, and I scratch my head and say, why? This guy's a God-fearing man. He's a damn good coach. He doesn't, he doesn't disrespect anybody. He never throws his players under the bus in public, his coaches. And some guy writes a report, and they, they want to tr- talk about him like he's some bozo. I don't understand what's going on out there. All I hear is he's not Andy Reid. He's not Kyle Shanahan. He's not this guy or that guy. No. We haven't won the big one yet, but let me just say this. this I, I stand behind this guy, and I'm going to stand behind him until it's, it's evident that he can't uh, bring home a winner. But he's, he's a a good man, and people that talk about him and put him down. It, it's really disturbing for all that he's done here because for 17 years we're in the desert looking for the damn date tree, and we finally, the date tree shows up, and now people want to go, oh, we don't like that date tree. Get rid of them. I don't understand it. I, I really don't. And I'm just here to say that I know there's uh, a lot of people out there. My own son, he's 25. He's a big athlete. Oh, he's He's too conservative, Dad. He'll never take us to the next level. We may not make the playoffs this year. We may, we may not. If we don't make it, we don't fire him. We add to what we have. We have a great organization, one of the greatest in pro football, and people just want to canonize Bean, McDermott, everybody. Open your eyes and realize that we got a good thing going here and that it just needs to be tweaked a little bit. And that's what I think. All right. Thanks for your call, Steve. Appreciate it. Yeah, it is. Uh, we understand as much as the next person. It's a what have you done for me lately type operation in the NFL. I mean, we see half a dozen coaches get fired every year for lack of performance. You know, it's, it's a performance based job. We all understand that. There's only one other team that's got more wins than the Bills over the last three years. It's the Chiefs. That's it. Um, the Chiefs and the Bills are the only two teams with. Ten wins or more in each of the last three seasons. Um, 
the record kind of speaks for itself. And I think the most important thing that Sean McDermott said today is, I'm not without flaws. The guy's as self-aware as anybody that he's not perfect. And in this league where competition is, is the stiffest it is maybe in any league, if you're not perfect, sometimes you pay for it. But nobody's perfect. Yeah, and particularly when you get thrown stuff that you really – I mean, these guys spend – like McDermott's no different and all the coaches on his staff, they're on their own path as well. They spend years and years and years, decades sometimes, getting ready to be a head coach and, and earning their stripes and, and getting qualified to be a guy in this seat. And then something like – let's face it, something like the Von Miller thing gets dropped in his lap. That's not what he's trained to do. And I thought the way he handled the Von Miller questions in today's press conference was stellar because he, he was pretty transparent. He, they, they are seeking knowledge. Um, and I know that there are people, and certainly and to Steve in Orchard Park's question, you know, there are people on social media like, I will never watch this team again. I will ask if Von Miller is actually even on the team or employed by the club, I'll never watch another game for the Buffalo Bills ever in the history of the world because they've got this guy on their team. It's not that simple. And I think Sean McDermott gave you an idea of what the team is going through uh, behind the scenes to try and sort that situation out and find out what happened and what's going on. Um, I thought it was stellar the way he handled it. And it was insightful, transparent, and handled with a lot of grace and mercy for all involved. Um, so I, I, you know, I, and that speaks to what Steve from Orchard Park was saying about the kind of head coach the Bills have. Um, is he perfect? No, self-admittedly, he's not. Um, are the team is the team struggling this year? Absolutely, it's not the well struggling. They're five hundred compared to where they've been in the last three years. Yeah, it's a struggle. But I, uh, I am far from, uh, I am far from hopeless about the way this team is going to turn out this year. Uh, and in 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 respect to that, in respect to that, even in subsequent years after this one, going forward with this guy as a head coach, um, I have no qualms about doing that. Um, I've seen what he can do. I've I, and from his press conference, you can tell the level of commitment they have towards solving the issues that follow them. So there you go. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you, Steve, uh, on that. Yeah. Steve from Orchard Park, not me. No, it was well said. Uh, let's go check back in with Jim in Lockport. Jim, are you there now? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Hey, my prediction for the Bills, they're going to win out the last five games. Okay. And and what makes you so confident, Jim? Uh, because um, I'm 70 years old and I'm kind of facetious, but the league wants to make money. It's all about money, and everybody wants to see the Bills in the playoff, especially the NFL. And the referees are going to do whatever they can do to make the Bills win. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> well, they I certainly. Have, I have never heard a Bills in. fan <laughs> convinced that they have the full support of the officials to Jim, get them to the playoffs. That is an absolute refreshing take right there, buddy. I that might be the most that. unique that. one I've ever heard. <laughs> wow. Because I'll tell you what, the crew in Philly did not get that memo. They did not, because the <laughs> the penalties were ten to one in favor of the Eagles, and that was just at halftime. Oh my goodness! And it goodness. finished eleven to four. Bless your but heart, Jim. If there's a turnaround like that, Jim, more power to you. Uh, let's go to Maureen and Clarence. What do you got for us, Maureen? Hi, guys. I I really appreciate your showing um, Sean's uh, press conference today. From the time this man arrived on our scene 
he's always been of interest to me. And I've gone back and read articles written in the hometown papers from where he's from and his uh, upbringing, everything that brought him to this point in his life has been nothing more than hard work, values, good family, and his faith. Um, The article was absolutely disgusting. And the way it was, the the way they portrayed him, it, it really almost brought tears to my eyes because I, I mean, I don't know him, you know, in person, obviously, but I said everything he has shown this city through the work that he's done uh, in bringing this team, this organization uh, back to credibility. Uh, The fact that he talks to Marv Levy, I think, just about every week, they're of the same um, love for this team. And you can tell, you can tell how this had to, this had to be a dagger, a dagger in his heart that this kind of stuff is going around. When you, when you listen to the players talk about him, when you listen to anybody that knows him, he is loved. He is loved. And it's, it's a, it's pitiful that this article could garner up so much, so much stuff on social media. It's sickening. The one thing that I often thought of last year after that whole, the whole year had so many issues from the time the season started with Kim Pagula's uh, health issues and then the, all the weather uh, problems that the team faced and how, how he, how Brandon Bean, how they brought this team through the most difficult season, the most difficult season. To me, he should have been coach of the year just for the guidance that he was able to keep this team steady and going. You know, people focus on such stupid things instead of looking at the big picture. And in my mind, this man should never leave. He should always be, he should always be a coach here in Buffalo until he wants to retire. I'm sick of, I'm sick of listening to all these people calling for his head after one loss here, one loss there. It, it just, People just don't get it. They just don't yeah. get it. Well, Maureen, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. It's, it's awesome stuff to say. I'll, I'll say this, um, and, and I, you know, you pro- people probably can guess how I feel about Marv Levy and all that. Um, but even Marv um, ran his course, and he did retire, uh, no question. He walked away and got a chance to do that. Nobody is guaranteed a lifetime contract in the NFL. Sean McDermott's one of them. you got to earn it, no question about it. I would say this, though. There are so many coaches in this, in the head coaches aside and alike. It's and the head coach is important as he is. So is the ownership, Terry Pagula. So is the general manager and Brandon Bean. So are the staff that Sean assembles and tinkers with year after year. Like like most NFL staffs get tinkered with year after year. Nobody gets a free pass for as long as they want, no matter what, because you got to win games. Sean McDermott and this crew win a lot of games. A ton of games. And that's why he deserves to stay on as head coach. Certainly, we've had some bitter disappointments in, uh, in this franchise's history. I've been a part of a ton of the biggest ones. But in order to be bitterly disappointed, you have to have high expectations and a reason to think 
you have a right to expect to be in that spot. That Super Bowl, the AFC Championship game, the playoffs, the division title, the wild card round. You have to reach a level that gives you a chance to, to be disappointed, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. This coach and this, this regime... All of them. It's not just Sean McDermott, and he'll be the first to tell you that. It's not just it's, it's all those guys. Even the ones that are bitterly disappointed that were in the article, the ones that were here for a minute and now gone. They're all a part of it. You, they all would agree that they have a hand in trying to get there and give themselves a chance to be in position to get over that. That in and of itself is what this is all about: giving yourself a chance all the time to be the kind of franchise that is always in the comp- is always in the conversation always and that's what it has been virtually since Sean McDermott took the reins he took he took the the drought bills and Tyrod Taylor to the playoffs he can coach mm-hmm. he can coach yeah and then did it for the next 5 years playoffs um We've got to take a break here. We'll get to some more of your phone calls along with our next installment of Excuse Me, Mr. Tasker. Steve with a story to tell when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Time now for Excuse Me, Mr. Tasker, presented by Total Sports Enterprises, an official sports memorabilia partner of the Buffalo Bills. We solicited fans to submit their questions or their request for a story from Wall of Famer Steve Tasker. Winners selected at random will receive a premium mystery box of signed items. This could be a Bruce Smith signed photo or Stefan Diggs signed jersey or even a signed Jim Kelly replica helmet. Rules do apply. Visit buffalobills.com slash T-S-E Tasker. This week's question comes from Brett, who says, Steve, what is the biggest thing you learned while playing under Marv Levy? Um, I learned more than one thing, obviously. But one of the important things I learned from Marv was integrity. Um, it's interesting. We picked this. To, it just came out of the blue, and it was interesting that it came today. This question came today. It hadn't come in weeks before. Um, Marv uh, had, you know, we had guys on our staff, and Marv had the same coaching staff for a long time. Now, Teddy Marchabroda got hired away. Nick Nicolau got hired away, you know, because um, they went and got better opportunity. You know, they got a coordinatorship and a head, head coaching, coaching job. job so, yeah. um, but most of the time, the, the staff was pretty intact. He, 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 brought a, he brought Chuck Dickerson in, and Chuck was a pretty good coach, and he, he liked it. And then and Marv was full of intent. He was, he was as honest as the day is long. He told the truth, uh, to my knowledge, as, as long as I know him. He still does when he's, now that he's 98. Um, and I learned that that was really important because uh, at a certain point, something happened in our team where the coach I mentioned left the team, was fired, and it came out that he had been going, sub sabotaging Marv's head coach, head coaching from within by talking to the owner uh, behind Marv's back and trying to position himself as the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Marv did nothing at the time, but when the, when the guy, he gave the guy enough rope to hang himself, which he did, Marv released him and fired him, and then the guy completed the betrayal by going on this radio station years and years ago, you know, 25 years ago, and 
assassinating the character of Marv and the coaching staff and the play. He completely betrayed all of us in this building um, with his everyday radio show. And he, he affected your job, too, because you were working for the station back then, too. <laughs> yeah, made it, it impossible for you, right? So, um, And Marv, uh, I think he responded when, when the media – it was so outrageous, the things the guy was saying, and Marv wasn't, would not comment on it. And finally, Marv gave a short reply to uh, – a media you know, question. The media question. The media was relentless in wanting Marv to fire back, and Marv refused and refused and refused and refused, and finally he did and gave a, a, a speech about, you know, defending himself. And so um, that, to me, was the biggest lesson in character, perseverance, and integrity I've ever witnessed in the face of absolute personal attack for no other reason than it was a personal vendetta. And for no other reason than it was a hugely public and, and an attempt to humiliate a really good man, publicly humiliate him, and really sabotage his career and his life and the whole thing, his wife, his daughter, the whole thing. They were after all of it. And he refused to buckle and fight back and with anything but integrity, grace, and forgiveness. I'll never forget it. It was something that really, for the longest time, and even to this day, I've never really spoken like this publicly about what happened to Marv and, and Chuck Dickerson's attacks and, and the totally unfounded nature of all of it. Um, I've never really spoken publicly about it, but I've never witnessed a greater example of character and fortitude and courage uh, and grace and mercy as well uh, than that than I did with Marv leaving when he was attacked in the same way that, that Sean was yesterday. Uh, Marv was absolutely outstanding, and Sean fell right into that mold today at his press conference. Um, he spoke about himself, not anybody else. Uh, it was an absolute great example of how all of us should be and strive to be better. It's difficult in the day and age in which we live now, 30 years later, when social media, it's all 100% one way or 100% the other. Uh, to see my head coach Marv uh, be that, resolute and full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and um, just being above it all in the face of what was an unbridled, farcical attack on his character, I thought was maybe his greatest accomplishment as a coach. Um, even if he'd won four Super Bowls, it might have been his greatest accomplishment and maybe his most important. So, uh, that's what I learned. One of the things I learned from Marv is integrity wins the day every time. And we got, an, we got an, uh, another reminder of that today in the press conference that yeah. Sean McDermott did as well. So I was, I, it was, we never, <clears throat> we've never gotten a, co a question like that in this. No. And it came out and I thought, you know, this is a perfect time for it. So uh, that's what I learned about from Marv. And, I, and he still does. I had dinner with him this last offseason in Chicago. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, he's still the same humorous. Uh, honest, full of integrity guy. He's one of the top five human beings you'll ever get a chance to meet if you can indeed do it. Um, and uh, I was really reminded starkly of that today when I saw Sean McDermott uh, do the exact same thing that I saw my coach do 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Hey, we say it, we say it around here a lot. I mean, Marv's an American treasure. I mean, the guy is like... He's an icon, man. I'm telling you. He is great. And, uh, you know, yeah, and to, and I, I, I'm glad I, I, I got a chance to say that about him. Uh when he went in the Hall of Fame, I said he's on a Hall of Fame or football, pro football Hall of Fame. He's a human race Hall of Fame. Uh, he's just that kind of guy. And I'm glad I got a chance to say that about him because it, 
it's by calling, you know, bringing into view his integrity, it also encapsulates the million other great lessons I learned from him about how to handle people, how to be, how to think, how to keep your priorities straight, um, and work hard and prepare and all that. So yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate the question. Thank you. And that, and, uh, and, to, and it was, and it was, thank you for the question today in particular on a day that when it meant a lot, yep. uh, and it was pretty pertinent to what's going on here. Let's go back to the phones quickly before the break and go to Steve and Amherst. What do you got for us, Steve? Good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I appreciate you both, and I appreciate all the stuff you've been weighing in here on with McDermott and with, uh, with Miller and everything. Um, I want to touch on a couple things. I've been holding for like 30 minutes, so like I've heard a lot of calls come in, and I want to, you know, some of the stuff I wanted to talk about might have changed a little bit based on that. Um, you know, to touch base on what's going on with McDermott, you know, I've always been a fan of his because of his integrity, because of his faith, because of the way he handles himself. And you can see not only what McDermott means to people, but based on the last couple callers, I believe it was other Steve in Orchard Park and Maureen um, in Clarence, I think. She's, you can tell the love that Bill's fans have for their team and a lot of them for their coach. Um, and McDermott is one of those guys that, I was going to say, and you just said it, Steve, is McDermott exemplified. I haven't listened to every response from McDermott, like word for word, but I, I don't believe he's attacked or fought back to Dune, Tyler Dune once. I believe he's kept everything and owned it and apologized and done what he's needed to do. And that, to me, goes way further than anything. And when it regards to social media, I feel like negativity in social media when it comes to stuff like this is magnified over the positivity, you know, like McDermott owning this and all that. It, it, you know, all the negative stuff gets way more magnified, and social media magnifies everything tenfold nowadays compared to what it used to be. So that's the one thing I have on McDermott. I am behind McDermott, and I'm glad he's our coach, and I hope one day we can put all this stuff behind us and focus on winning because that's obviously why we're all fans. We want to see a Super Bowl. And the last thing, it's just a simple thing on Josh Allen. When the Bills started the season, I remember hearing a lot of stuff how they wanted to save Josh Allen, save him for the playoffs, save him, you know, from getting injured. And we saw what that did is it led to six losses. And then it came down to the point where, like, okay, are we really – like, we have to make the playoffs to be able to use Josh Allen. So let's stop saving him. I mean, obviously, I feel like he has just as much a chance to get injured in the pocket as he does scrambling. So I'm really excited that they've kind of unleashed him and – uh I'm pumped to see them, you know, win four of the next five games and, or maybe five of the next five games and make a playoff run because they are going to be a scary team in the playoffs. And right now, like that one guy said about the, the Bills being a moneymaker, quarterbacks draw a crowd, and not many other teams have a starting quarterback right now going into the playoffs. So yeah. um, that's all i got to say. I, guys, I love the show, and I appreciate you guys handling everything the way you do with your integrity as well. You guys are class acts, and I appreciate you more than anything. So right. thanks, guys. Thanks for that. Thanks, Steve. thanks for it. hanging in there. I know that some people they hang on forever. Yeah, I know, and I feel bad, but yeah, yeah, uh, it's Brownie's fault because I don't have the phone. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> you can blame me. That's fine. I'll take the heat. Uh, we got to take a break here because when we start hour number two, we will do that with our weekly visitor on Fridays, senior producer from NFL Films, Greg Cosell. Going to break down those Kansas City Chiefs for us when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are, hour number two on a Friday. That can only mean one thing. Senior producer from NFL Films, Greg Cosell, joining us. And Greg's appearance on the show, presented by Scott Lawnyard, an official commercial site work partner of the Buffalo Bills. Well, Greg, in the break, some developments concerning player availability in this one, Bills and Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to be without four starters. Linebacker Drew Trank. Tranquil, safety Brian Cook, left tackle Donovan Smith, and running back Isaiah Pacheco. Pacheco, Greg, I don't have to tell you this, but for the sake of this question, he he has been instrumental in keeping that offense on schedule, knowing how much they have struggled in the passing game to find consistency week to week. How much could his absence mean in trying to keep that offense on the rails? That's a great point, Brownie, because this off- the passing game has been very up and down. Um, Pacheco has been a real sustaining element for this offense with the way in which he runs. He is your classic sustaining back, the kind of back that when it's blocked for three or four gets seven or eight. He's physical. He's a tempo setter. He's that kind of back. Um so he's an attitude runner. And and when past games are struggling and you really want to line up and try to move the football, you like to have an attitude runner. And he's that kind of back. Um, Edward Tolaire, who I assume will be his replacement, is not that kind of player. What has been the issue with the Chiefs offense? We're used to seeing them hang 30 you know, in a half, yep. let alone 33 times in a season. You know, what, what's, what's the difference between Casey's offense this year as opposed to when it was flying high? I think there's a number of factors involved, Steve. Um, And, you know, I can't get into Patrick Mahomes' head, but I will say this. I think, you know, it's funny. Let me preface it this way. I spoke to a defensive coordinator, a former D coordinator who played against Mahomes for a number of years, and he volunteered to me. He said, you know, Mahomes is great, but Mahomes will always move when he doesn't have to move. That's just part of who he is and how he plays. And I think that that's even become worsened this year for this reason, again, without being in his head. But I don't think he's comfortable with the protection from his two offensive tackles. Now, Donovan Smith, you mentioned, is out this week, and we'll get to his replacement in a moment. But Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor have not played particularly well in one-on-one pass protection. And my guess is he's very aware and very conscious of that. And so, therefore, even though he's prone to move regardless, even at his best, He's probably even more conscious. He's probably anticipating pressure and then perceiving pressure when it's not there. And he's been moving even more. 
And the special plays that have come off movement have not been as frequent this year because, as look, as you guys know, those plays do have an improvisation, random element to them. They're not structured plays, so there's no guarantee that they happen. Yeah. Uh, I also think I also think he's not been as sharp just mentally in delivering the football when there are throws to be made. Um, you know, keep in mind, for quarterbacks that move a lot, there's a very fine line. You see this with Josh sometimes. There's a very fine line between making second reaction movement plays and playing loose and at times without the discipline that's needed to play the position at a high level. Um, and right now, Mahomes is leaving a few too many throws on the field. Yeah, no yeah. question about it. And and it's evident. You can see it. It's in their point production. It's in their completion percentage. I mean, run down the list of stats that you want. It's all there for you to chew on. What is ironic is Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, their two offenses are first and second in sacks allowed per play. So they're not getting they're not getting these guys on the ground. The the Bills offensive line has been exemplary this year from a pass protection standpoint. You can't say the same for the Chiefs. And meanwhile, Buffalo's defense is number one in sack percentage this year. So it's going to be a very right. interesting thing that we witness here. What can you tell us about the guy who's going to step in at left tackle, the rookie Wanye Morris from Oklahoma? I believe he was a third-round draft choice. Yeah. I mean, few offensive tackle prospects in the 2023 draft looked apart more than Morris. I mean, this guy has prototypical size brownie. His arm length is over 35 inches. He's got a wingspan of 85 inches. I mean, his physical profile is absolutely off the charts. Keep in mind, he came to the University um, of Tennessee as a big-time five-star recruit, and then he ended up transferring to Oklahoma where he played two years. Um, So you're dealing with a guy that is really long-limbed. He's powerful. He's flexible. He's got heavy hands. I mean, this is a guy that really looks like he could develop into a really good player, but there's a lot of technique issues that he has to work through. He was often very late with his hands in pass protection. He had some balance and body control issues. He didn't always play to the physical and athletic traits that he showed, but those physical and athletic traits were super high level. So he's probably not ready to be a big-time player yet, but he certainly could develop into one down the road. And what else can you tell us about uh, you know, trends with this offense? How, has Andy Reid you know, started to ev- – evolve uh, from where they've been in years past as a play caller and and you know or is he kind of I don't know relegated to the personnel he's been dealt because of you know the departures of Tyreek Hill and others yeah you know that's a very interesting question Steve I mean you know it gets into that whole issue of how receivers impact the quarterback play um you know and and obviously you know when a quarterback does not have receivers who are considered really good you know people like to say well the receivers are bad um you know i think that's i don't want to say it's a cop-out i mean there's some merit to that but i think you have to be careful about making it seem as if that's the only reason um you know you watch this offense and again i can't speak to how mahomes feels about his receivers but there's not many snaps here steve in which mahomes hits his back foot and delivers the ball within the structure of the play design you don't see that a whole lot um, so now you become overly reliant on secondary action movement plays. And there's no question he can make those plays. And could he make five of them this week and be phenomenal? Sure he can. That can happen any given week. We know that. Um, but that those haven't happened with the frequency. So 
you know, one thing that happened, it was two years ago. You guys may recall this. It was two years ago when Mahomes had a little bit of a rough stretch early in the season. And Andy Reid clearly went to a quick rhythm passing game to try to get him back playing with some sense of, of rhythmic timing. And it was effective, and he got back on track. Um, so we'll see if that's something that they, you know, attempt to do. Don't forget this year. I mean, it's really been interesting about the Chiefs, and I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of this. Um, Mahomes has the second most passing attempts of 10 or less air yards in the NFL this year. They are not throwing the ball even at the intermediate levels, much less down the field. Let's flip it over to that Chiefs defense, which is playing very well and is probably the strength of their team now. Third in the league in points allowed. They're up in the top five in sacks. They play a very physical brand, particularly at the cornerback spots, jamming guys at the line of scrimmage. They like to beat up people's receivers. Um, what is your assessment of their physical style of play and the way Spagnolo has them executing? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Brownie, because that to me is a critical piece. Coach Spags is a big believer in press. He does not want to give in today's NFL with so much quick game, so much timing and rhythm with the ball coming out in, you know, 1.5, two seconds. He does not want to give those quick throws, those easy throws. So he believes that you disrupt by playing press. And and that's his belief. They've been very, very good at it. Um, Obviously, they made a big change this year where McDuffie has moved in and become the slot corner and Sneed stays outside. And McDuffie is a physical, competitive guy. He's very good in the slot. And Sneed is one of the better corners in this league. Um, So... uh, and they're really good up front. I mean, we're, we're, that's where they're really good. They're very uh, deep. They have a lot of good players, and they have players who are multi-positional. So, you know, Jones can line up inside or outside. He's lined up outside more this year than in previous years. Dana, 51, line up inside or outside. Karloftis can line up anywhere. Um, who can line up anywhere. So they have a ton of positional flexibility and versatility up front, and it's, you know, they're a difficult team to play against. How does the Buffalo Bills offensive line match up? They have played extremely well. They've played with five guys across the board, the same five all through the season. Um, We noticed this last week, the Bills, their guard play has really been upgraded this year from a year ago. Um, How does that match up work and look to you, particularly since the Bills, under at least under Joe Brady, have started running the football really well? Yeah, and I think that has, to me, that's been critical. Um, and to me, the next step in the, in the evolution of this offense is to match the run game and the play-action pass game even more, and then I think you really have something. But, you know, I, we've talked for a number of years that they just needed to rely on the run game more and more volume. It can't be Josh Allen all the time. Um, you know, and I think they played exceptionally well in their last game against an Eagles defense that has a lot of good players up front. So that to me is where you could argue in this game, the rubber meets the road, because this is a difficult defensive front to play against with the Chiefs. And the O-line is going to have to be strong, not only strong in pass protection, but strong in the run game. They're going to need to run the ball to some degree. That doesn't mean they need to run for 175 yards or, or have 40 carries. But when they do run, they're going to need to have some success. It's a very difficult defense to play on third and long. Now, that might not sound like a brilliant statement, you know, because no defense, obviously, you don't want to be in third and long anytime. 
but Spags is a master on third and long with all his late movement, all his disguised looks, and all of his pressures. Um, he is a master at pressure and different kinds of pressure that's difficult to, to uh, account for and pick up. You know, and knowing that the Bills' run game has seen a spike over the last three weeks, averaging 165 yards a game, it's not just that. I mean, Joe Brady has broken some tendencies of late, too, uh, here, Greg, because they're 495 yards the last three games, second most in the league behind only Pittsburgh, and then they've led the league in rushing first downs over that stretch, number one, and then they're third in rushing third-down conversions. When it was third and three— or, I mean, this team was throwing the football. They broke yeah. some of those tendencies against Philadelphia two weeks ago and got yeah. conversions. What does that do for an opposing defensive coordinator when they see tendency breakers like that in the previous game before they play an opponent? What is Spags thinking when he sees stuff like that? Well, that changes the way you might go about playing third and, let's say, two to four because you know one thing that we've seen and this has been a little league-wide brownie one thing i've noticed watching tape is it used to be if it was let's say third and, and four or less and and steve can certainly uh you know know this um is that it was almost a, almost 100 man coverage you know we we'd immediately say oh, that's a man down but you know defenses have started to play a lot more zone in in, in third and shorter yardage situations um and it'll be interesting to see if that's what you know Spags may do because basically on third down you get you get four coverages from the Chiefs on third down you get cover two you get two man you get cover one and cover one robber now those are all situational depending on the down and distance the field location but you're going to get one of those four coverages on third down. Now, he may change the way he wants to play that, given what you just said, Brownie. And and by the way, I love the fact that they're doing that. Because, again, you know how I feel. I love Josh Allen, but you it can't be him. You can't rely on him, although he was pretty damn good against the Eagles. <laughs> uh, but you can't rely on him for everything. Yeah, and <laughs> you're right. Um, if you get this, – this game does come down to it. And I want to ask you, and now I've got – it used to be a, da- a, a, da- a man down because you wanted an extra guy to be able to go into the box to stop the run game on a third and two yeah. when they actually get it. Now teams are so good at stopping the run and so disciplined that they feel more comfortable being able to drop a guy out and, and cover up a quick throw. I, what is the trend, do you think, now? Is it still – where's the line of demarcation, I guess, is my next question. Yeah, I think, I think you're seeing – you know, I think the reason a lot of teams didn't play, you know, zone on third and short is because there's always a void and they just didn't want to give up, you know, a quick 40 yard throw into a void in a zone. Right. Um, now, obviously, when you play against the, jo- the Josh Allens of the world, you also have to be careful about playing man because unless you're going to spy or unless you're going to do other things that go along with playing man because, you know, you play man and, and start having everybody turn their back with receivers, you run receivers off and he runs. And he gets a first down. I mean, look how well he ran the ball against the Eagles. Um, you know, and he's obviously a master at that. That's his deal. He's really, really good. Maybe the best in the league at it. Um, so, you, you know, it's hard to say what Spags might do in those situations. But I, just to make the larger point that Brownie was making, I think it's a really good thing that the offense has become less predictable on third down in those kinds of situations. There's more to have to deal with for a defensive coordinator. 
Uh, we know that Tranquil is out for this game, and yeah, Cochran, Cochran had to step in for him last week, a far more inexperienced player than Nick Bolton, who has a chance to come off of IR and step right back into the lineup at, at middle linebacker. My question for you is, how limited might Spagnolo be with play calling if Bolton can't play either and he has to rely on the younger player, Cochran, to be his communicator out there on the field? I mean, it's a home game. Communication shouldn't be an issue. You know, all of that. Well, maybe it will be, actually, because the crowd will be noisy. Um, but anyway, I, I guess what I'm asking is, if Cochran has to play, does it limit Spagnolo in the calls at all, counting on him to read it? That's very possible. Um, the other thing I'd add to that is Brian Cook. Okay, he's out as well, correct? Yes. Yes. They are a heavy dime team. They play almost 30% of their defensive snaps in dime, six defensive backs. And the dime has been Reed, Cook, and Edwards. Okay? Now, with Cook out, um, they have Connor. Connor's been playing sort of in their big nickel, but Connor could, if they want to continue to play dime, and stay with what they've done, not just this year, but even in previous years under Spags, then you could see Connor as the third safety in dime. But he hasn't played in that role. So now you're going, you know, you're reaching into the depth chart and you're putting someone in a, in a position that they've not been asked to play this year. So, or they stay nickel, in which case they're going to do things on third down that they also haven't done much of this year. So I'm, um, um, you know, we don't know the answer to those questions because we're not in their meeting rooms, but it's going to be different for them. And who is and who right. is the dime linebacker typically? Is it Chanel or is it is it somebody? Well, the else? dime linebacker was Tranquil. Oh boy! Well, yeah. So I'm I'm wondering who that's going to be now too. Because the dime linebacker was Bolton, and then it was Tranquil. So you know, uh, my my guess is my guess is it'll be Willie Gay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they got some juggling to do on that back end there. I, that's yeah. why I'm yeah. kind of intrigued yeah. by it. Uh, there is a chance, there is a chance, Greg, that Dawson Knox comes off IR and returns to the lineup this week. Obviously, that would afford Joe Brady the opportunity to diversify the offense even further. Uh, as he comes off wrist surgery, practiced all week, he is listed as questionable. But Coach McDermott said he has a good chance of being activated well, for Sunday. What kind of changes could Joe Brady? you know, implement with him back in the, in the fray. Well, here's what I'd love to see. Let, let's remember that, that Josh Allen's had great success against the chiefs defense for the majority of his career. And some of that success, uh, you know, I even went back and looked at last year's game and they had some success out of base personnel on first down. That might be a good way to attack this defense, get them in base, you know, maybe Cochran's on the field. You get the three linebackers, you get Chanel, who's more of a box linebacker, and he was a pass rusher at Wisconsin. So he's not really an athletic linebacker outside the box area. Maybe you get them in their base, you line up in 12 personnel, you throw the ball on first down. You know, that might be an opportunity, you know, to, to have some uh, explosive plays. I remember last year they hit digs for over 30 yards on a first down, and I believe they had Gilliam in the game at the time. But, I mean, you could certainly do that with 12 personnel. Good stuff. Thanks, Greg. Greg, thanks as always. Appreciate the time. We'll catch up with you next week, and we'll look for you on the matchup show. Are, are Bill's Chiefs a part of a specific segment or no? 
Uh, they are indeed. They are in the show. Hey, it's one of the big games. Uh, one might say that this is kind of an important game for the Bills, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Just a little uh, bit. Yeah, it could be construed as important. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Greg. We'll catch right, up with you next week. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Uh, one thing we wanted to pass along to you, Bills fans, come meet former Bills running back Fred Jackson at a signing at the BFLO store in Williamsville Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. You can also enter to win a $250 BFLO gift card and a football signed by Fred Jackson. You can enter at buffalobills.com slash BFLO. Break time for us here, but more of your phone calls when we return. We may also have some commentary from GM Brandon Bean, who is also addressing the character assassination on head coach Sean McDermott. We'll get some of his comments when we return as well here on One Bills Live. It is time for Collision Course, brought to you by Gabe's Collision. Gabe's Collision, the official auto collision repair center of the Buffalo Bills. Get back in the game. And this week's featured matchup is Chiefs pass rusher George Karloftis, who leads the team with eight sacks, against Spencer Brown. That's who's going to be lining up against one another on Sunday And, you know, we talked about it on our podcast this week, Steve. Spencer Brown probably having his best season in a Bills uniform. But he's going up against a formidable power rusher in Karloftis, who in his second season, former first-round pick, is really coming to his own. Yeah, and I'll say this. I didn't realize this, but um, Greg Cosell just told us in the last segment, the Chiefs' front is a lot like the Bills' front. They move guys around a lot. Mm -hmm. Even Chris Jones is now moving and playing some outside rather than just inside. He's playing outside a lot more. So Spencer Brown could be up against Chris Jones, Karloftis, others. Um, So that's something to, to be really wary of. The Bills' offensive line is as good as any in the NFL right now, playing really well. Uh, like you said, Spencer Brown, who might have, even with um, uh, Osiris Torrance being a rookie, Spencer Brown might have been considered the weak link coming into the season. He's played great. He's played very well. And so they've had the fi- same five guys for 14 straight weeks too, which is unusual. So they're, they're a good group in their own right. That matchup, you're right, is huge. And the fact that Spencer Brown is out there against Karloftis, who's actually having a breakout year, yeah, it says a lot. I think how that matchup goes on that side of the ball, the Bills' offensive line against the Chiefs' defensive front, is is the matchup of this game. Certainly, you can you know their their offense and they're against their defensive line, whatever. But this is the one. It's strength on strength, and you know that's that's where these games are won or lost. So that is Collision Course, brought to you by Gabe's Collision. Tailgate Friday time, people. Even though it is a road game, we want to know what you got cooking on Sunday before this game at 425 for kickoff. Tailgate Friday presented by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield, the official health care plan of the Buffalo Bills. First up on the menu, it comes from Mike, who says he's firing up the pizza oven at the house in Central Florida. Everyone gets to make their own pie about a dozen of our friends will be joining us. Nice. Go He's in a Bills. picture. He, there was also he, he tweeted, did have a picture he of tweeted it, yeah. a picture of the oven. That's nice. Yeah, man. it's like Golly. an authentic. Yeah, it's like a cave. Yeah, it's with an authentic wood burning yeah. pizza oven. What do they call? Is it a, what's it called? The, the it's a peel. Peel. Yeah, the the big pizza peel. pizza spatula. Yeah, it's called a peel. Love it. Um, Love it. Yeah. My my dream is to have a pizza oven like that and to have a a peel. 
Yeah. Well, my own like personal peel. Six-foot handle yeah, on it. Yeah, Do those. that whole thing. Let's go. Get in there, rotate the pie around. Awesome. Faith has this submission, staying home and going to make Hawaiian roll cheeseburger sliders, maybe a side of homemade mac and cheese, or rings and fries. So uh, going the fried route there the whole way. Nice. Not just cheeseburger sliders, going mac and cheese, <laughs> onion rings, french fries, speaking my language. You get your sodium fill for the week, though, after that one. <laughs> That's uh but thank you for the submission. Small price to pay. That's right. It's one day. You know, it's your cheat. Make Sunday your cheat day. That's, that's right. That's what you do. Uh, so thanks for all your submissions for Tailgate Friday. We do want to get to some impromptu comments made by General Manager Brandon Bean uh, at the close of practice today. Just met with the media on the fly. Felt it necessary to address, you know, some of the things, the character assassination piece on Sean McDermott and how Coach McDermott handled it subsequently. So here is Bill's general manager, Brandon B. Uh, Sean, yesterday, maybe if you could, just your reaction uh, as a, one of the leaders in this, in this organization. As far as what, what, what? Sean had to say okay. uh, yesterday. And, yeah. and, and, you know, obviously his comments going back, you know, this is four years now. Yeah, no. Um, obviously, you know, when you're in leadership positions, um, you got a lot of people looking up to you, and, and none of us are perfect. Okay, and I think Sean acknowledged that. Um, I thought, you know, I went into the team meeting yesterday. I think he talked to you guys first. Went into the team meeting, and um, I thought it was very authentic. I thought the guys um, all saw that and felt that and know Sean for who he is. And I think you guys that have been around here some years um, know who Sean's character is, and and I'll stand by his character every day of the week. You know, the big assertion in this story, I'm not sure that if, if you read it, but, you know, Sean indicated that it was an attack on his character, but 25 former players, coaches, that basically the theme of it was there's been a lack of accountability within the organization from Sean. Has that been your experience with him? No, 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 not at all. Um, listen, this is a tough business, and, and in the positions that we're in, sometimes people don't leave here, you know, thrilled with the reason or agree with the reason, and, um, you know, it's just... You know, it's unfortunate. You, you would love for everyone to leave here smiling and happy, and, and it's a competitive business. And, and, again, sometimes you have to agree to disagree. Uh, but, no, that's 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 not how I would, I would um, categorize Sean in my eyes. Brandon, what have you seen from Sean kind of in the last day, like his reaction to it? Like what have those conversations been like between the two of you? Yeah, I mean, he's hurt, and he's human. And, um, you know, just like when your family member's down or something's happened that's – uh, you just put your arms around and support him and, and support his family and, and just try and work through this. It's it's obviously been a tough week. Um, Vaughn had his his situation that we were working through, and then, you know, this just dropped yesterday. And so uh, we'll just work through it. You know, we're kind of used in this business dealing with adversity, um, and I think we've had our fair share. I think we're ready to move on and, and play football, and I know the guys are excited to get to Kansas City on Sunday. How much has Terry been involved in this challenging week in, in those conversations? Yeah, uh, Sean and I talk to him regularly, and so he's very up to speed uh, from the minute we learned about the situation with Vaughn to um, to when Derek let us know about this yesterday, and, and we got on the horn with Terry right away. And so he's very involved, um, and he, and he's up to speed. Were you aware of these comments from Sean during this meeting prior to yesterday? No, uh, I, I had heard about something offhand, but I really, I don't, I'm not in the team meetings. And by the time I heard something, you know, was said or whatever, he had already called them together 
and and kind of you know try to repair it and apologize however he did so i didn't uh, i was not at the meeting and i did not hear the apology so then to clarify you're talking about back in 2019 yes yeah were you in the meeting yesterday at all when Sean addressed the team what was that like yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah. He he's uh, he was very authentic. I mean, I don't want to get into the words, but um, very real as as he he generally is uh, with the guys. And um, you know, same thing. Just you know, you, when something comes out like this, a lot of players were not here. We know the roster turns over, so I think he just kind of went back through that situation to make sure and offered up. Does anyone have any questions? And he was very vulnerable. And uh, you know, I know the guys. Uh, I think it, you know, without speaking to every single player, I think it resonated. And, and like like this team always does, the guys are going to rally around them. You referenced earlier uh, the, the week that it's been. It's been, there's been a lot going on here. Uh, how much of a distraction is this for the team, and how confident are you that this locker room and the players in there still believe in their head coach? Yeah, no, I think they very much believe. And um, if there was a bunch of questions or back and forth yesterday. I've been in team meetings where not everyone's on the same page and when it's an open forum um, and there was there was none of that. And there was none of that coming out of the meeting. No one was, you know, grabbing me on the side or coming to my office separately or anything like that. Uh, you know, I think he he handled a very tough situation. Um, you know, owned up to, you know, the, the mistake of it and um, I thought he was very vulnerable, which you know, people respect that, and if you you can't sit up there and read off of a card or a statement, that's you can, but I don't think it's as genuine. And so, uh, my comments to him afterward were just to support him, and and I know it's tough, and uh, I thought you you handled it the best you could. Brandon, going off that, in lights of the comments, I mean, was there people in the organization that um, have felt differently about Sean? Now, do you still feel like people in this organization look to Sean as? the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, someone they can trust as well, people outside the locker room specifically. Can people... Front front staff members, um, people who work around the facility who, you know, are invested in this team just as much as you guys are. No, it's... um, I think everyone understands that um, we're all human, and I've made mistakes. Um, You know, if you're in these positions long enough, you're going to do things or lead people or say something that you're like, you know, damn, I wish... I wish I had that back. And, you know, I think it's how you handle it if people are going to follow you. And if if Sean was deflecting it onto someone else and, and not himself, then maybe maybe it wouldn't be the same response. But uh, I have no doubt that the players and, and the staff and uh, the support staff that you're talking about uh, are all behind him and behind this team. All right, so that's General Manager Brandon Bean uh, just voicing his support and uh, basically confirming that, you know, Sean, after he addressed the media late yesterday afternoon, went right into a team meeting and addressed the team about that very subject as well, just to make sure everybody understood what the whole situation was about and how he chose to handle it. And by Brandon's account, he handled it with flying colors. I, yeah, I'm, <clears throat> you can imagine, and I'm, I don't want to make light of it at all because it's serious, but I can imagine some of the new guys that are here that weren't here in 2019 and go, what, what did he say? What? You know, he's like, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. What are we I talking got, about? Listen, I that's fine, but I, I got I'm getting ready for the Chiefs. You know, yeah. I, I think it's a little bit like that for most of these guys. But nevertheless, it's important to put it because most of these guys, you know, you're going to go home and you're going to run into the the guy at the Seven Eleven. He's going to, hey, what about this? You know, and he's got to have an answer. Yeah. Um, 
you want to prepare these guys for everything they're going to face when they go out and talk to their wives, kids, yeah. and, and people they know. Plus, post-game comments, pre-game comments. Some of these guys have media responsibilities they got to answer to, and they want to be prepared uh, with with a real answer yeah. for uh, for all their responsibilities as well. So, uh, And it runs the whole spectrum. And Brandon's right. Most of the guys are like, Sitting there, nobody's like raising their hands saying, "Hey, what about what about what about?" You're good, coach. Yeah, it's, that's it's like, kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's, and that's what Sean alluded to when he said the feedback I got was supportive. Supportive. So yeah, yeah. let's uh, squeeze in a phone call here real quick. We'll go to Christopher in Rochester. What do you got for us, Christopher? Hey, uh, never called you guys before, but two words for your show. You got you guys are a class act. Um, I am calling in as a lifelong Lions fan, so I know all about misery, and we got perfection of going over the season before everybody else did. Um, but I grew up with a Bills family. Sean McDermott is simply the best thing to happen to the Bills since Marv Levy. And I just I felt compelled to call in because, again, I've got no skin in the game, so to speak, but I've seen the Bills' history, and I'm sitting there going, you have the guy who turned everything around and brought you back in the right direction. Um, he's, he's an example of welcome adversity as a test of your resolve. I had a chance to meet him at a lacrosse tournament. His son and one of our sons were playing. The guy is true blue, genuine. I would just love to see everybody just kind of, hey, take a step back, appreciate who and what you have, and, and let the man do his job. Yeah, th- he's yeah thanks. and genuine as they come. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks, Christopher. And I, I would agree with that. I Here's the thing. I, I get the... Let's move on because we don't think this guy's got that little extra bit at the end. And, and I, would, I continue to go back to this. Neither did Andy Reid in Philly. Yeah. Um, these guys are ever-evolving human beings, as we all are. And McDermott's personal mantra has always been humble and hungry, trying to get better, trying to – and, you know, um, I would hate to – and I've said this before. You're going if to you, – if you do make a change – the new guy is going to have a completely different set of lessons he's going to need to learn in order to get to the next step. Nobody, it's rare that a guy comes in fully polished and ready, even if he's a veteran head coach. Different ownership, different GM, different players, it's all different. He's got to, even if he's this, a, a championship-winning head coach, it's hard to transfer that over. And I, I would say, do you do that and take the chances on that the lessons the next guy has to learn are so small that he's going to put you over the top right away? Or do you work with this guy knowing how far he's brought you, knowing how much different he is now, knowing all the outstanding stuff he has done to this point? Do you try and get that last little bit out of him just to get over? That's what you're talking about. And, and as we see you know, from our callers, one's like, I just don't think he's the – and even on social media, I don't know if he's the guy, but he doesn't deserve this, that kind of stuff. I don't know if he's the guy. But I don't know how you walk away from the success that the team has had under right. his watch. It's a, it's that's the question where that this comes down to. And oh, by the way, we still have five games left to play. Like the season has not been etched in stone yet. Have they underachieved at six and six? I think by most accounts, yeah. yes, they have. But there's still five games to make it right. So let's let the five games play out, and then if you want to make your assessments from there, you have a right to your opinion. Let's take a break here. Steve and I wrap it up next with Vision to Victory on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
Vision to Victory, presented by Atwal Eye Care, the official eye care provider of the Buffalo Bills. For me, obviously you want to make this Chiefs team one-dimensional on offense, and I think that task is a little bit easier now with Isaiah Pacheco out of this football game. I think the Bills can you know, kind of neutralize their run game, and I know it's crazy to say put it on Patrick, but his receivers have not come through for him. They lead the league in drops. Yep. It's not a good situation uh, for them. So I think if they can do that and the offense gets some early points, now their pass rush can start churning and get Patrick on the run. Yeah, the, the Chiefs were 6-1 and one in the first seven weeks of the season. They're 2-3 and three in the last five weeks. So they've started to sputter a little bit, and it's started to catch up to them. Um, I do think their defense has been the strength of it, but they are hamstrung this week. Their offensive tackle. The Bills have to win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And if they do that, they'll be able to score enough points to outdistance the the Chiefs. Uh, and f- you could see now with the guys that they have on the sidelines, the Chiefs are going to be hamstrung, and the Bills have to get on top of them because of it. A fast start would go a long way in this game for either yeah. team. I don't want them to get into a field goal game. I mentioned this the other yeah. day. Harrison Butker, perfect on the season. 22 of 22 his long this season steve 60 yards yeah that's he's got a cannon yeah and i I, listen i'm a big tyler bass fan i that doesn't scare me what scares me is the fact that you get into a field goal game and all of a sudden somebody falls down well yeah now you're in a touchdown game and we're only two weeks removed from a 59 yard game tying field goal i I don't need to live that again right you know i know exactly (laughs) what you mean and it has nothing to do with tyler bass it has everything to do with but when you're in those field goal games they're always tight they're very closely contested and then it comes down to you know a non-call or a bad call or a drop pass or a slip and fall and bad turf and you lose we've seen that a a gazillion times uh with this crew so we'll see that's it for us this week thanks for joining us steve and i'll be back here on monday to break it all down bills chiefs we'll see you at noon